BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Greg Young with the Bowery Boys, presenting to you another of our older shows in the Bowery Boys archive. Episode 82 on the history of Roosevelt Island. Now this show is a personal favorite of mine. Both this actual show, the show itself, because we got to talk about old asylums and prisons and stuff like that, but also because I actually love this place itself so much. We released the show on May 8th, 2009. So much has changed during then and now that stay tuned until the end of the show to hear an update about the incredible transformations that have happened on Roosevelt Island and will be happening there in the near future. Plus, I'll have a little story for you from the blog about the famous woman that the island is currently not named for. Can you guess who that is? And so, enjoy this history of Roosevelt Island. Episode 82 of The Bowery Boys, Roosevelt Island. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Greetings. Welcome to The Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And we have another hot topic for you this week, which is certainly an oddity, even in the scope of New York history. This is Roosevelt Island. Most New Yorkers know it because there's a tramway that goes from 59th Street over to the island. But the community out there itself has a history that runs very parallel to all the things that go on in New York City. But for most of its existence, it's used for very particular ways, sometimes kind of bizarre ways. In its present incarnation is a great little community, as you said, Greg, and others have described it as a small town in a very big city. So we'll give you the scoop on that small town as we take the tram over to Roosevelt Island. Right, Greg. Well, before we jump into the big history, the big backstory to Roosevelt Island, I was wondering if you could situate us, lay it out for us. Uh, naturally. Uh, before before I get to that, I should mention that Roosevelt Islanders are very proud of their history. Right. So, There's a very active Roosevelt Island Historical Association. So Tom and I just went out there on Monday to sort of refresh ourselves. But I've actually been, we've both been out there many times. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fun little excursion, especially if you are a history buff. Um, and it's that little sliver 
center of an island. It's about two miles long. It sits between Manhattan and Queens, sitting right there in the middle of the East River. If you're on the Manhattan side, basically the southern edge is around East 46th Street, with the northern point ar- parallel to around 85th Street. Mm-hmm. It's 147 acres in total. To contrast that in size, Central Park, picture that in your head, is 843 acres. So Central Park is five times larger than Roosevelt Island. Which is why it was so easy for us to walk Roosevelt Island. I mean, we got over there, we took the tram, hopped off, and within a few minutes, we're down at the southern point. We saw that great creepy ruin of the smallpox hospital. And the lighthouse. And nary out of breath either, I must say. (laughs) Um, The city of New York actually owns the land that is Roosevelt Island, but it's leased to the state of New York, uh, in particular to the Urban Development Corporation. It has a lease of 99 years. I will get into that a little bit later as to why that is. Wow, there's some lease intrigue. To <laughs> I hope that keeps people sitting there. So much the lease, lease intrigue. There's it's the like- least intriguing <laughs> thing you've said today, Greg. The Roosevelt Island is the home of the Kohler Goldwater Hospital complex, but of course there are a lot of rentals and condos out there as well, and you can get out there in three different ways if you don't know how to swim. There is the Roosevelt Island Bridge, Mm -hmm. which is on the Queens side that you can drive onto it. You can take the F train, finally, the subway goes there, and of course the Roosevelt Island tram that is parallel to the 59th Street Bridge, which of course cuts right over Roosevelt Island. Roosevelt Island, like so much of Manhattan, used to be just a lovely little place with uh, with fruit trees and, oh, yeah. and bunny, bunny rabbits and everything. So what happened? Well, when did man come? Well, the Native Americans, of course, were there uh, before the Dutch arrived and they, you know, were gathering berries and hunting and such and having a great time on the island, calling <laughs> it Minihanak Island. Now, Minihanak has been translated various ways, including Long Island, and as my favorite, It's Nice to Be Here Island. (laughs) Not if this was your home, you'd be here by now, Island. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice place to live, something of that name. I do have to say, given the vagary, I guess, Mm -hmm. of these sort of early American history documents, especially when you're talking about things involving the American Indian. Um, the, this name, Minnehanonk, has actually been used to describe Randall's Island as well, as well as Roosevelt Island. Well, so it was nice to be there too. Well, it is. But in any case, in 1633, the Dutch governor, Wouter van Twiller, sure. um, bought Minnehanonk uh, Island from the chiefs of the Canarsie tribes. The Dutch switched the name immediately to the much less glamorous Varken Island. Varken? Well, it sounds kind of glamorous. It means hog island. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I'm assuming they must have stored hogs on there, or was it just a demeaning name? No, they, they raised their, their pigs over there. And swine? Their swine. Uh, in 1652, Peter Stuyvesant basically declares that sale null and void, okay, because he was getting nervous about the English encroaching and wanted to build uh, fortifications and such. He was right. The British did take over, and he never did actually build his fortifications on the island. So uh, the timing just didn't work out for him. So now in British hands... In 1666, In right. 1666, um, it has now passed over to the hands of one... Captain John Manning. Manning is of the mariner tradition. He is a mm-hmm. seaman, but more importantly for this story, he also happens to be the lieutenant governor of this new colony of New York. Now, Manning was holding court in New York. He was actually in charge of the whole colony on the date of 
August 1673. The governor of New York at that time had, was off in Massachusetts in some kind of a summit. Oh, he was manning the city. Unfortunately, for um, in August of 1673, the Dutch decided that they wanted New York back. So they crept back, or rather they through the harbor, crept into New York Harbor, and Manning and his men fought the Dutch for a couple days. But then on August 9th, 1673, Manning surrendered to the Dutch. And so for a very, very short time, the Dutch were back in possession of New York. Right. And they actually called it New Orange, but we won't go there for this podcast. The governor came back. New York quickly reclaimed it, kicked the Dutch back out. Manning did not fare well in all of this. Apparently, they wanted him to just sort of like go down with the ship and die fighting because he was actually seen as a traitor for giving up the city. He was carted back to England, court-martialed, came back to New York, and they actually took his sword and in a, in a symbolic ceremony broke it in front of City Hall and said that he could never hold any kind of public office again. Oh, how devastating. What was he to do? Maybe go, the Dutch... Go you know, back to England? Well, what he ended up doing, they actually exiled him to stay on his island right here. And so if you hadn't guessed by now, the former Dutch island is actually called now Manning Island. And so Captain Manning here spent the rest of his days on the island. He actually, after that whole horrible kerfluffle, he actually lived in fair amount of peace on the island until he died in 1685. The island stays in the family, though, because it then passes to his son-in-law, to a man that marries his daughter, Mary. That man's name is Robert Blackwell. Now, this name, of course, uh-huh. figures very strongly into our story. Because the island would be called Blackwell's Island for, for quite a while. For longer than it's called Roosevelt Island, let's yes. just say. 1686 is the date in which it becomes Blackwell Island. For around the, the next hundred years and, and beyond, it's actually, it stays in the Blackwell family. So see, see if you can follow this. So Robert Blackwell has a son, Jacob. And so he lives there. And then Jacob has a son, and his name is Jacob. <clears throat> Around 1776, uh, of course, you know what happens in New York. Mm-hmm. The British... The, another kerfluffle. Another kerfluffle of a sort called the American Revolution. Jacob, too, was a patriot and was for the Continental Army. So he fled New York, actually. He died before going back home. But in his will, he granted rights to that island to his two sons, James and, you guessed it, Jacob the third. So are you following that? All you need, yeah, to, know, yeah. all you need to know is they come back in 1796. Mm-hmm. So we have these two brothers and their families are living here on the island, Blackwell Island. 1796, they actually build a little farmhouse there. Why that's so important is that farmhouse is still standing on Roosevelt Island today. In fact, it's the sixth oldest building in New York City. So this whole time, though, it's private property. At what point does the city of New York take over ownership? As you know, after the Revolutionary War, the uh, the financial fortunes of New York grows. So the Blackwell brothers, they kind of want off the island. And they think they can get a lot of money, probably, from this land. They tried, I'm not kidding you, Tom, they tried for decades to sell it. And they couldn't sell it. They even put an ad into the newspaper that, to quote it, says, It is without exception one of the most healthy situations in this state. It is remarkable for the number of fish and fowl that is caught there in the different seasons. And it goes on and on about extolling the virtues of the orchards that are there and the cider mill and the barns and everything. Stone quarries. No. I'm sold, yeah. Yeah, but no. 
Nobody wanted it. So it kind of kept in the Blackwell family until 1828. So that's the Blackwells have had it for a really long time. Finally, the city wants to purchase it. But something around this time is, has changed. It's like, why would the city want it now, necessarily? With these larger populations, the city needs larger institutions, these larger public institutions. So they decide that what they want to do is turn Blackwell into sort of a, quote, city of asylums. Another thing that was happening around this time, in 1828, the same year, Sing Sing Prison uh-huh. is built just upstate. A year later, over in Philadelphia, the Eastern State Penitentiary, these are sort of new experiments in right. incarceration. Well, and you know, because, you know, penitentiary was a place where prisoners were able to go and perform penitence, ideally in a remote location, someplace peaceful and quiet, where you know, they could really reflect well, that was, upon the situation. Yes, that was the altruistic reason for sort of putting it on a little island. But of course, it's also very advantageous because it gets all of these big buildings off of Manhattan real estate and it can be developed for other purposes. And probably all of these undesirables is too. Exactly. This sort of unseen folk can now, like, they can just put them over there and we don't even have to look at them. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. I guess the best way to handle this, the 19th century, is that there's so many institutions that will just sort of like go down the list of right. some of Obviously, the bigger ones. We've been alluding to the fact that there is going to be a prison there. There were other kinds of institutions and asylums on the island. So shall we just walk through the 19th century? Is that it? Shall we walk through, please? <laughs> so yeah, let's start with the earliest and probably probably the institution, the impetus for starting this island. I believe that you are alluding to the penitentiary that was built between 1828 and 1832. You know, the island had a lot of very good rock and the builders of this penitentiary took advantage of the brute force and the muscle of the prisoners themselves to quarry the stone and to build many buildings, including their own penitentiary. And these buildings were designed by really name architects of the time, I mean, to show just the attention that was being brought to them. Yeah, this was James Renwick, who would also design St. Patrick's Cathedral and a number of other buildings on the island. And he had a sort of gothic flair to him. He liked to make things look like castles, including his penitentiary. Located in the center of the island, going north to south, shaped like an L, and he originally designed it to have 
have 800 cells, though you shouldn't think that there were only 800 prisoners no, who were no. inside there because it was infamously it, overcrowded and just dismal inside. Almost from day one. And the prisoners who were there are felons. or They're sort of the medium right. medium criminals, if you will. The more severe crimes would be sent up the river, of course, to sing right. sing into some bigger penitentiaries. And some of the smaller crimes, of course, would be in other buildings here on the island. And there were also women there, because women who were inmates at the penitentiary would have to... Well, everybody had to work. And women were in charge of sewing and cooking and cleaning and such. But the penitentiary was sort of the day of many of these institutions that would come out to Roosevelt Island. Oh, sure, because the penitentiary opened in 1832, and just seven years later, the New York, quote, lunatic asylum was built, which was also called the Octagon because it had a main sort of hub. The, the entrance was an octagon shape, and there were two branches off of that octagon. Now, the lunatic asylum was built because of a problem, again, with overcrowding at Bellevue Hospital back in Manhattan. There simply wasn't enough space for the mental patients, and so they looked to Blackwell's Island. I should uh, jump in here and just sort of remind everyone everybody that what they may have called lunatics aren't exactly what we would call lunatics today like some of them well, of course we wouldn't use the name lunatic but... of course some of some of them would have legitimate mental problems which they were only at this time sort of like understanding how to treat but there were a lot of other people could have thrown into here that mm -hmm. we would not put in the same category and of course unsurprisingly the asylum would fill to capacity sometimes holding 1700 or more inmates and the crowding wasn't even the worst of it i think perhaps the most notorious example of mismanagement is that the prisoners from the penitentiary were actually in charge of taking care of the inmates at the <laughs> asylum. I mean, can you imagine? It's just such a bad setup. Well, I mean, I guess you save an employment cost. Well, all just... over the place, right. I mean, you can imagine the quality of care that people must have been getting. That's chaotic. The asylum in 1858 would burn down and then be rebuilt. So you can only imagine the chaos surrounding Ugh that as well. Probably people like literally spilling out of the building. You know, some of them in need of care. They weren't getting it. A huge blaze was happening. No one was putting it out. Uh, it's just all a bunch of madness. Okay, so we have a penitentiary. We have an asylum. You know, these buildings have, they're sort of like strange cross purposes. If, if you get a little confused, it's okay because they were actually confusing. They, in 1841, they had an almshouse. Mm -hmm. Now, like alms for the poor, an almshouse for the destitute. The poor and the Many of them, of course, had their own illnesses and needed hospitalization and needed care. And we, when you say destitute for the, the homeless, poor, living on the streets. And here's something very shocking about the almshouse is that orphaned children, like children who had no parents who were found on the street, would be sent here to be taken care of by people in the almshouse, like by other like old ladies and and that oh, stayed wow. there. There weren't like there weren't like a staff of people really to take care of these children. It was they were just sort of thrown in. Yet another example of the complete pandemonium that was ensuing in this place. In 1852, there was a workhouse, the Blackwell Island workhouse. Now, and this had 220 cells of criminals of I guess minor crimes, but that what they were considering minor crimes would be prostitutes, drugs. Right 
drug users, drunks and disorderlies would Petty come. theft. But the difference is, is that this would be those who could actually pick up a shovel. The, these people were going to put things back into the island. Well, the almshouse, too, was for poor people, and this was for people who had been convicted of a petty crime of some sort and were being shipped to a basically a minimum security prison. Exactly. That is kind of what this is. Up to um, 30,000 people a year would go through the doors of the workhouse. Most of them just serving small periods of time. Of course, if they had to serve longer periods, well, they could perhaps stop by the penitentiary. Interestingly, so this confusion of purposes, you would have regulars to Blackwell Island who would check themselves into the workhouse, check out go into the almshouse for a while and like would just sort of stay on the island. It's almost like a revolving door. You have, you know, lack security on most of it. You have untrained guards. There were frequent escape attempts, of course, from people who didn't want to be there. It would be very easy to escape off there. You'd bribe a guard with liquor. Some inhabitants would simply rip the doors off of buildings and would use them as flirtation devices to, to get to Manhattan Island. We should also add that at the same time as all of these buildings and institutions were going up, there were hospitals that were being built on the island. Mm -hmm. In 1849, Penitentiary Hospital, which sounds like a cheery place, <laughs> opened up, and only eight years later, in 1857, Charity Hospital opened on the island. So the island had multiple uses, and in, in this case, you know, Charity Hospital, which would later be called City Hospital, was getting patients from Manhattan who would arrive by ferry boat, and in various um, tuberculosis outbreaks and whatnot, they would sometimes be, again, unsurprisingly, in overflow mode. They set up circus tents in the back of the hospital as overflow tents for various epidemics. In this case, tuberculosis outbreaks, they would burn the circus tense afterwards. So there was a lot of drama and purpose happening out at the island. So in the midst of all of this mayhem, I have an idea. In 1856, let's throw a smallpox hospital onto the island. Well, it makes sense. You know, this would be specifically for smallpox patients. Unlike the rest of the island, however, this would be for everybody. It wouldn't just be for poor people. It would be for rich and poor. It would also be a paying hospital for those who were rich, but the difference was, if you could pay to get in there, you would have a private room here at the smallpox hospital. And now, when you say it's for rich and poor, it's because if you caught smallpox back during that epidemic in the 1850s, 50s, you had to go to this hospital. You were quarantined to this place. Yes, there was only one place to put all the smallpox patients. Now, this hospital was designed, of course, by James Renwick. Gothic uh, flourishes yes. and all. 100 rooms. In a sample year, for instance, in 1872, they would get about 7,000 patients that went through the door of this smallpox hospital, wow. or about 450 deaths. Now, just so that we can imagine this hospital, Greg, this is the hospital that you see today. If you're driving down the FDR and you look over to Roosevelt Island and you see that ruin eerily lit up in the night. Yes. This is that building. There, yes. Of, of all of these institutions that we've mentioned, only two of them have a remnant that remains on the island. The first one is the Octagon. That's mm -hmm. the asylum. The a remnant of that has been massively refurbished. More strikingly, more dramatically, the ruins of the smallpox hospital are still standing on the island. Unlike the Octagon, which has been turned into a new building, this, the ruins are still standing. It's still the original walls. It's not the entire building, but it's 
the dramatic entrance that Renwick designed. This it's very, kind of a very, miracle that it didn't collapse or get taken down. It really, it gives you the most direct picture of looking back into this period of time. So, and it's kind of a frightening building to look at because they have it lit up really nicely at night. It looks like a haunted house. That's what it is. It's the Renwick Ruin. Now, one other monument that still stands today is the lighthouse at the northern end of the island. That was constructed in 1872. And it's because that northern passage, actually, the water just north of that, well, that's part of the East River where it meets the Long Island Sound, uh, is some treacherous water to navigate. There are all kinds of rocks you need to avoid, and there had been something like a hundred shipwrecks. So the city leaders decided to erect a lighthouse there to help guide the ships through and to cast a light onto the lunatic asylum. <laughs> well, this is a different era of New York. Everything is much darker. The waters are darker, and you can't see the edge of the island. All you can right. see are the, are the uh, like twinkle of lights from the windows of the lunatic asylum. I, mean, I can see where that have been quite a danger and it was designed greg by renwick himself right That's yet true. another structure but this one's and a little different the, the, the but the stone was quarried by the the prisoners right and built by the prisoners <laughs> that's right and there is a little story behind this oh there was an inmate at the asylum named john mccarthy who was so afraid that the british were going to come back again and attack the city of new york that they allowed him to build his own little fortification in clay. This was like a hundred years since the the British had. I mean, like this was right. not going to happen. Right. Well, he was locked up at the lunatic asylum. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So another man did most of the construction of the lighthouse, but they placed a plaque at the base of the lighthouse that stated, "This is the work was done by John McCarthy, who built the lighthouse from the bottom to the tip." All ye who do pass by may pray for his soul when he dies. Oh, and so is that plaque still there today? The plaque is no longer there. It, I have a photo of it. Well, we'll put, I'll put it up on the blog. Okay. Although Renwick des technically designed the lighthouse, apparently it doesn't look anything like what he designed. That it was somehow I don't, lost in translation when you have, you know, a lot of people from the penitentiary and the lunatic asylum working on it. It's still standing. I mean, it's a lighthouse in New York City. It's right. beautiful. Blackwell's Island, though, this, we're talking now the late 19th century, is getting a real spotlight shown upon it around the world for some of these sort of like horrific conditions that are happening Right, well, there. change was in the air. You know, there are the late 19th century reforms that are starting to happen mm -hmm. as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And then all of a sudden, we realize that people have been living in squalor in the Lower East Side. Change was happening, and it was happening at Blackwell's Island as well. And it came about because of muckrakers, because of investigative journalists, like, for instance, Nellie Bly. Now, Nellie worked as a reporter for Joseph Pulitzer's World. She was asked by her editors if she would go undercover and be admitted to the lunatic asylum on Blackwell's Island. And so she did it. She had to feign mental illness, and then she was put on a ferry and shipped off to the island, and she spent 10 days in the lunatic asylum taking careful notes of the horrific conditions that greeted her there and, of course, all of the inmates who were locked up. How did they get her out? I mean, if she... Well, that was the thing, yeah. Joseph Pulitzer had to really fight to get her out. You'd think that it would be kind of simple, but she had gone through the bureaucracy of landing in the lunatic asylum, so it wasn't really that easy to just, like, pull her out and say, oh, this was just a, you know... 
a little prank or whatever, a little prank, but it wasn't. Right. Yes. The articles that were published, uh, the series of articles published in the New York world and across the country, they were read by the entire nation and they really made a giant impact. Luckily, changes are coming to the island. In 1892, something that's kind of fascinating, and there's a ruin of this up, though you can't really get close to it on the island, of a place called Strecker Laboratory. And believe it or not, this is the very first American laboratory that was devoted to like bacterial research. I find this really fascinating. Wow. The first place in America. They put up a research laboratory here that had specimen rooms, it had autopsy rooms, it had a mortuary. This was abandoned in the 1950s like a lot of other stuff, which we'll talk about in a second. But the ruins of this are still standing. A section of it are still standing. With the 20th century comes a major feature of the island. That would, of course, in 1909 be the Queensborough Bridge, which is, by the way, is 100 years old this year. Happy birthday. Now, you're probably wondering, you can't get off the 59th Street Bridge and let go to Roosevelt Island. You can't anymore. But you used to be able to. Um, Take the parachute drop. <laughs> used to jump off in a parachute. No, actually, it was an elevator. What the 59th Street Bridge had was a trolley that went along it. And what it would do is it would stop in the middle and say, you know, you wanted to visit the island. You would get out there and there was actually an elevator, a 10-story elevator that lowered you from the bridge down to the island. Up, up until this time, keep in mind, the only way to get on this island was by water. But anyway, with this was discontinued in the 1950s and the elevator isn't even there anymore. They ripped that down as well. On top of this major change though comes an actual change to the name of the island itself. Even as early as 1911 they were thinking of giving this giving this a little bit more of a bureaucratic name. I read I found a funny uh letter that had been written in the for the New York Times it had been published in 1911 and it was by a man named Blaise Lorillard Harcel and all I'm going to say is here's the first sentence of it this explains everything as a great 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 grandson of Robert Blackwell after whom Blackwell's Island was named I wish to enter my hearty protest against changing the name from Blackwell's to Hospital Island so in 1911, Hospital Island was sort of like on deck, but that's actually not what actually what it got changed to. No, but it's not really that far. For uh, in 1921, they would rename the island Welfare Island. Much better. Well, I Much think better. it makes sense, really, because there were more than just hospitals on the island after yeah, all there were yeah. laboratories, there were asylums, you know. So Welfare Island it is in 1921. Great. Now, in 1933, under Mayor LaGuardia, he sent his corrections lieutenant and the police in to raid the penitentiary because there were all kinds of reports, you know, and to clean it up. And he found that there were actually two organized gangs in the penitentiary that were basically running the whole place. Wow. Each with its own gang boss. Conditions for the bosses was so comfortable. I mean, they were basically eating whatever they wanted. They even had dogs. One dog was named Screw Hater. And he, <laughs> and he ate beef dinners every night. I mean, this was like far better than, you know, it was, the inmates themselves, of course. It was luxury, almost. It was luxury. Two years later, when Rikers Island opened and a new penitentiary was available to the inmates of New York City, the last prisoners from Welfare Island were shipped up to Rikers and they closed down the penitentiary. By this time, they were actually closing a lot of these institutions down. For instance, the, the insane asylum had already been gone, uh, 1890. 
1983 is when it had moved to Ward's Island at mm-hmm. that time. Before we sort of move on to this sort of next phase, we should just like maybe do a bold faced list of all the sort of famous people who oh, yeah. stayed in the penitentiary or stayed in the workhouse um, because all, a lot of leading lights, people like uh, Boss Tweed. Boss Tweed was out there. That's right. Well, in 1927, Mae West herself was arrested after her scandalous performance in her Broadway show, Sex. She was given a 10-day sentence to the workhouse, not the penitentiary. I, I love, <laughs> so she actually had to grab a shovel? What was she doing? Well, she was put on sweeping duties. She got to sweep out her cell <laughs> or something like that. I just seeing her like body swivel along the hallway <laughs> with, a, with a broom, some sequins on. Well, according to workhouse gossip that I've been privy to, <laughs> the warden even drove her around every afternoon to get some fresh air. And one day he took her to even meet his own mother. So wow. she didn't oh, so- really have a hard time there. She complained about the scratchy uniforms. Uh, She got out early on good behavior and later she actually donated some money to um, the Mae West Memorial Library at the workhouse. The glamour days, the glamour days of Roosevelt Island were sort of winding up here by the 1950s, correct? I mean, everything was basically abandoned by this time. Well, not exactly because there had been two major hospitals that had opened in 1939, the Goldwater Memorial Hospital with a thousand beds treating people with chronic conditions opened. And then in 1952, the Bird S. Kohler Hospital opened as well for chronic hospital care. So there were two major hospitals that opened in the meantime. But other than that, really everything else had kind of been torn down. But major plans were afoot within the next decade. In 1968, the mayor of the city, John Lindsay, kind of took a look at welfare and he was like, you know what? We just, we need, let's investigate some uses because this is just land that's going to waste. We want to find something to do with it. They decided that they wanted to be a sort of a new town in town, is what they called a residential community. (laughs) There's Um, a new town in town. A new town in town. And she's looking good. (laughs) So, and and this being the late 60s, you know, it was like specifically some sort of like a utopian type of a residence. This immediately attracted nobody. I mean, like no private contractors wanted to really touch this. That's when the state swung in in 1969, the Urban Development Corporation of New York State. And that's when the city gave them a lease for uh, for 99 years to develop this uh, uh-huh. for this. And that way they could use state funds that they wouldn't that they wouldn't have normally gotten to be able to develop part of their city. It's kind of clever. Gotcha. Um, so they hired architect Philip Johnson renowned architect. What he wanted to do, he, he wanted to keep the hospitals there, but he wanted to preserve some of the history of the island, keep it all cloistered and community-like, cut off traffic. There'd be a promenade that would go around the island. There would be lots of little parks everywhere. The school for the children, there would actually be like little mini schools so that children would have to sort of hop around the little main street that went through it. How um, experimental. So it's like a campus of sorts. Right. Um, and of course that street zigzags through, so it seems like it's even shorter than it actually is. A lot of these plans didn't really go through, unfortunately. When they actually hired the architects to build some of these buildings, they made them kind of blocky, unattractive. It didn't really have that sort of zing that that Johnson really wanted to. Well, the zing is decidedly made up of brown concrete. Yeah, lots and lots of concrete. It's more of a thud. A thud. And unfortunately, also, we're running into the 70s here with the financial crisis. So um, a lot of the sort of like restaurants and shops that he also wanted to open, well, none of these were ever built. But they still, it was still happening. They still had to move people out there. But you had sort of two walls in which they were running against, of course. How are they getting out there? 
mode of transportation, and two, that name. <laughs> because we are talking Welfare, Welfare. Island. Yeah. In 1972, they decided that's, that's when it was changed officially to Roosevelt Island. The reason they changed it is because they were intending, believe this or not, to build a huge monument to FDR out there. That monument would be, would be designed by one of the world's most renowned architects, Louis Kahn. Mm -hmm. It would cost $13 million, and it would be Kahn's only structure in, in New York, and it would be at that South Point tip of the island. Unfortunately, Kahn died two years after they sort of announced this. So he designed it, but he died in 1974. With that paired with the financial crisis of the city, this was never built, but the name still stayed. Well, what about getting to the island? Well, so they had announced that they wanted to build a subway stop here at Roosevelt Island. So they had announced that in the early 70s. But as a sort of temporary way to get people out there, they built this tram built by a Swiss company called Von Roll. And it does have a sort of like Swiss European oh, feeling, yeah. doesn't it? Alpine. But it was always meant to be just temporary. But people fell in love with it. The tram has these two cabins. Each one can fit 125 people. They've decided that they were just going to leave it. And so, of course, it's now a big fixture of Roosevelt Island, one of its most popular features. But that subway station did get built, didn't it? It did. Use it. When did you say that it was first proposed? Back in the 70s? In the early 70s. I think it was 1972, I think I want to say. Well, and I believe it was supposed to open in 1976. Well, it opened in 1989. <laughs> and it wasn't just a money thing. It was also just, you know, they were digging underneath the East River. They had to make this one of the deepest stations in New York City. The platforms are actually 100 feet under street level. Today you can go to Roosevelt Island and they've got a lot of big brand new condos that are going to right. are going up there. They have some recent initiatives to sort of jazz up the place even more than before. Though I've always loved it. I mean now they're, they're going right. to have it a... It shocking. We couldn't believe the new buildings that we saw on Monday. I mean there are three giant structures in a row right when you get off the tram. But they have, and they're going to have like concert series out there this summer. And and what's and what what's great is they still have some of the like this history is still very evident about the island. We encourage you all to head out there for a few hours and just check out the island. You can take the F train, take the tram, or of course you can drive over on that Roosevelt Island Bridge on the Queen side. So that is our extended history of Roosevelt Island. Check out our blog for some pictures of all of these institutions and many more things. So thanks very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Well, I hope you liked that tale of Manning slash Blackwell slash Welfare slash Roosevelt Island. Where do I even begin with all the exciting changes that have been happening out on Roosevelt Island since we recorded that back in 2009? There's been so much new development over there that in some sections, it almost feels like a different place from the one that we presented back in 2009. And yet, if anything, the historical relics of Roosevelt Island are in great shape and in a few places are even improved. Of course, the biggest news is that Cornell University or Cornell Tech is building an entirely new campus on Roosevelt Island and mostly responsible for most of the island's development today. You know, it's really gentrified there as a result of that. The other major change is that Franklin D. Roosevelt Four Freedoms Park, i.e. the reason 
the place is called Roosevelt Island in the first place, Will has finally opened. Groundbreaking began in 2010, and the site officially opened in 2012. It is one of New York's most interesting new attractions, and I encourage everyone to go out there and stroll around the austere granite pathways. It's a throwback kind of memorial, in keeping with Louis Kahn's original designs. But I have to say, and this is probably just an illusion, it is on the East River after all, but I have to say I feel like when I'm there, I'm breathing in pure fresh air uh, when I'm walking along the shoreline there. The Strecker Memorial Laboratory is also refurbished, and you can get close to it and really observe those unique stone walls that it has. And of course, the Renwick Ruin is still there in all its gothic, creepy glory. I recommend you all take the tram or, okay, of course, the subway or even walk onto the island by using the bridge on the Queen side. Just go out there and stroll around the perimeter of the island. And while doing so, check out another Roosevelt Island-themed podcast of ours that we recorded last year, episode 194 on Nellie Bly, Undercover in the Madhouse, about her investigative exploits there, which we only hinted about in this particular show. And finally, I want to present to you a little story which ran on our blog, BoweryBoysHistory.com, about the origin of the name Roosevelt Island itself. That story ran under the headline, Whatever Happened to Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Island? Welfare Island, once the more enticingly named Blackwell's Island, was New York's depository of human services, once a dour place of horrifying asylums and miserable workhouses. In the 1960s, Mayor John Lindsay was preparing to revitalize the East River Island with new housing and increased support for the hospitals there. Architects Philip Johnson and John Berge were brought in to rethink the urban space as a largely automobile-free community. For this grand experiment, all they needed was a name. Luckily, there seemed to be a couple prominent figures being egregiously ignored in the city by this particular time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor. From a New York Times editorial, January 30th, 1972, quote, It is astonishing and becomes more disgraceful with every passing year that within the city there is still no memorial to this great New Yorker, parentheses, except for FDR Drive, a dubious honor, parentheses. The opportunity is, however, immediately at hand. Welfare Island, now slowly undergoing a total reconstruction and rebirth, would take on a new symbolic significance if its name were changed to Franklin D. Roosevelt Island, or, better yet, to Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Island in honor of that extraordinary woman who was even more closely identified with New York City than was the president himself, unquote. By the following year, Mayor Lindsay submitted a proposal to rename Welfare Island for the President and the First Lady. From January 21st, 1973, under the headline, Welfare Island May Be Roosevelt Island, Mayor Lindsay announced that he would submit a proposal to the City Council to rename Welfare Island in the East River, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Island. In a statement, the mayor said that a fitting memorial to the Roosevelts was long overdue and that the island was particularly appropriate because it is in sight of the United Nations, which they did so much to create and of which New York is so justly proud. 
He added that he was exploring the possibility of constructing a memorial to the Roosevelt on the 147-acre island on which two planned communities for upwards of 17,000 people are presently being built. It was officially approved later that summer, but with a revised name, Franklin Roosevelt Island. To the council, quote, a witness testified that the name of Welfare Island should be dropped because plans were underway to start marketing this September the thousands of apartments already built and still under construction as part of the $300 million new town designed to replace outdated medical facilities, unquote. A Lewis Kahn memorial to Franklin Roosevelt was to be built on the South End. It would take over four decades, but the Franklin D. Roosevelt Four Freedoms Park would indeed finally open in 2012. But whither Eleanor? She finally did get her own memorial in New York City, an understated statue tucked away in Riverside Park. It was unveiled on October 5th, 1996 by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oddly enough, Hillary regaled the crowd with a story of imaginary conversations she liked to have with Eleanor. Quote, when I last spoke to Mrs. Roosevelt, she wanted me to tell all of you how pleased she is by this great, great new statue. Unquote. Well, if you'd like a little bit more information about Roosevelt Island, in fact, if you'd like to stroll around it with something in your hand, say a, a historical guidebook that maybe we've written, we talk about the history of Roosevelt Island in our new book, Adventures in Old New York, which you can get now in bookstores as well as online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Well, thank you very much for listening. Check out the regular Bowery Boys podcast feed for the latest episodes and keep checking in with this feed to look back on some of our greater old episodes that we will be launching here uh, throughout the summer. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.